You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. friends and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am so excited to be joined by Tremper Longman, a professor and author and more, who's had a great influence on my life, both during seminary and in his work and his books and such that I have read afterwards. Now, before we dive into that conversation, I did want to share a little bit about spiritual direction, which we offer here at Rua Space. This is a space where we look at your story. We reflect together on where God may be speaking in your life, connecting greater to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through spiritual disciplines and through just sort of talking about your daily walk. And in this episode today, we are going to talk about wisdom. And one of the aspects of growing in wisdom is reflection. And that can be helpful to do in community. And that's exactly what we do in spiritual direction. Look at your life and learn where God is inviting you. Learn from where God has spoken in the past, where God may be speaking today. So if that's of interest to you, I highly recommend check out the link below where we can set up a free call to talk about spiritual direction. And also friends over on Patreon, you can help support this ministry, keep it going for just a few dollars a month and gain exclusive access to live events, special series such as Exploring Revelation, Experiencing Psalm 23, we offer guided practices and more. So you can find all of that in the description below, as well as some of Tremper's books. So without further ado, friends, I'm really excited about this conversation. I pray it is a blessing, a challenge, and an encouragement to you. Here's my conversation with Tremper Longman. Tremper, welcome to the Rua Space podcast. It's been a while since I've seen you in person, but such an honor to have the chance to speak with you today. Oh, it's it's my privilege, Phil. It's great to see you and to talk to you. So you are a wisdom expert, uh, in my opinion, in, in your studies. And I, I had a class with you on wisdom back in the day. And, you know, to kick it off here, you know, the last time you saw me, I probably didn't have as much gray hair as, as I do now. And... I'm trying to make myself feel better about it. So I I remind myself a lot of Proverbs where it says, you know, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. So with that said, am I justified in in saying my gray hair, that that's why I have so much? Is that okay? Well, well, it's okay. And I think the default is the uh, older you are, the more wise you should be uh, because you have life experience You've had failures and you've learned from your failures and uh, and you've had more time to observe things and read scripture. But of course, that's the default. There are a lot of people who go through life and don't learn anything from their mistakes and don't uh, don't, you know, reflect on their experience or, or whatever. But yeah, but I'm sure you're the type of guy who does tell. So, so you're, you're safe. You're safe saying that. Okay. Thank you. That That's really good to, that's really good to hear from you. So before we dig into, into wisdom, can you share with people a little about what you do? Because I've learned a lot about wisdom from you and I know many others have as well. So just as a means of introduction, who, who are you for people who don't know? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure there are lots of those. Um, So I'm Tremper Longman. I have been a longtime professor, teacher, and writer in the area of Old Testament studies. Uh, I went, uh, got a 
after seminary, went and got a doctorate uh, where I studied the esoteric topic of fictional Akkadian autobiographies. But some of those fictional Akkadian autobiographies had a kind of wisdom component to it, which, and I was always studying ancient Near Eastern material in order to really dig into the Bible. So that led me to writing commentaries on Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Proverbs, Job, Psalms, and uh, then writing a book called The Fear of the Lord is Wisdom, and, and some other things on wisdom. That's not the only thing I do, but it's probably the area in which I've had the most focus. Yeah, well, and I, I have to say, friends, I have some of those books. They're excellent. So uh, you can look in the description below when we're, you know, when you're done with the episode and, and find some of those books. But right there, you know, you started to talk about this book that you wrote called The Fear of the Lord is, is this beginning of wisdom. Can we just sort of start with what is wisdom? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so wisdom, <clears throat> uh, wisdom is a, uh, is, is not a simple concept. I mean, it's it's multi-layered, shall we say? Or we could describe it in in particularly three dimensions. Though to be truly wise, you have to have all three dimensions. So wisdom on one level is a kind of skill of living. Uh, you know, we might call it emotional intelligence, social skills, um, street smarts. Um, that's that's kind of the practical level, and that's an important level. And um, Proverbs tells us, you know, reminds us that there's a right time and a right place to say certain things and to do certain things. But uh, but but some people just leave wisdom there. There's an ethical component to wisdom too. Uh, wisdom isn't just doing the right thing; it's being a good person. So. You might, you might uh, manipulate people to gain benefits for yourself, but if you're hurting them in the process, then you're not a wise person, you're a wicked person. So you notice Proverbs uses wisdom and righteousness, and on the one hand, folly and wickedness kind of uh, together. And then ultimately, the phrase we just cited being the most blatant expression of this, so there are other ways that the wisdom books express this. Um, you don't even get started with wisdom unless you have the proper attitude toward God. So there's this theological dimension. It's the beginning of wisdom. It is. Um, um, it's it's where where you start, and everything else flows from that. Yeah. So the, and and that I think is a very important component of wisdom. Is what exactly is fear of the Lord. Yeah, but, right. but before we get to that, you know, one of the things you did mention was Proverbs talks about there being a right time and a right place for things. So I feel then like that's a little bit of that differentiation, if you will, between wisdom and knowledge. Like I think sometimes right. we think of wisdom is, oh, you have all the right answers, but yeah. that's sort of missing something, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Phil, it's missing the main point, which is uh, <laughs> wisdom is is uh, different than intelligence, the kind of intelligence that's measured by IQ, say. Not that the two are mutually exclusive. I mean, you can have a high IQ and be wise as well. Uh, and you could be have a low IQ and be a fool. But, uh, but, but uh, wisdom is really uh, about um you know as i said practical um 
practical wisdom is like emotional intelligence, doing the right thing at the right time. So what that means, Phil, is you not only need to know, you know, Proverbs, you need to be able to read people, you need to be able to read situations. Uh, we both have associations with the Seattle School, uh, where the motto is, I believe, text soul culture, though I might yeah. not have gotten them in the right order, but it's really true that all three of those are important. And, uh, and so, um, so uh, I, I just wrote an article uh, for World, Word and World magazine, which is a Lutheran magazine that just came out, which explores this, this dimension of wisdom, how, you know, in Proverbs 26, 26 verse 6, I think it is, it says, uh, you know, uh, well, maybe I better better read it. Uh, but it, uh, it, I think it says, uh, proverb in the mouth of a fool is like uh, a lame leg. Mm. Uh, and then verse 9 says, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is uh like a drunk with a thorn branch a thorn branch in his hand so <laughs> basically saying um you might know the proverbs but if you don't know how to use them then they're useless or even worse they're dangerous mm. so and we know you know and just before that we have that famous pair of proverbs the one that says uh in verse four i think it is 26 four do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him yourself followed immediately by answer a fool according to his folly uh or he'll be wise in his own eyes so so what that's telling you is you got to evaluate what kind of fool you're talking to and <laughs> anticipate the kind of uh effect that will happen and of course that develops through experience and you know you get involved in a uh uh, discussion with somebody who has a, uh, a foolish perspective on something, let's say, uh, but they're bullheaded and they don't change. But you might even be talking to that person later and there are two other people there who are listening and you might be able to influence them. So you have to do those kind of mental calculations. Mm, yeah. You know, my favorite one along those same lines is Proverbs 27, 14, uh, because I do not like getting up in the morning. And, <laughs> yeah, and then right. it says, you know, those who bless their neighbors with a loud voice in the early morning, it will be considered a curse to them. You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly. A, that's a great... <laughs> well, I, I remember <clears throat> uh, I, I taught at Fuller Seminary one summer where I had, a, for some reason, a seven o'clock class. Uh, and I had to, I was staying nearby, but I had to get up and there was a, there was a workman there who felt it was his, his godly duty to warmly greet everybody when they came into the building. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was everything I could do to keep from, you know, throwing a stone at him. But <laughs> <laughs> Which would not have been the wise thing to do. Probably. No, right. It would not have been the wise thing to do. So. But, but, but that sort of gets to the nuances of things that when we're dealing with scripture, I mean, on the one hand, 
you know, that scripture seems to be a, a contradiction, you know, we, well, well, the yeah. Bible doesn't contradict itself. Well, right there, it, it does, because it's sort of the nuance of life. So maybe things aren't always as black and white as we right. want them to be. Right, right. Yeah, well, well, what you said is true, except I'd add another dimension. It's not really a contradiction if you simply take into account that this is a proverb. I mean, in other yes. words, there's different types of truth claims that different types of literature make. And a proverb is not making the truth claim that uh, it's always true. Uh, uh, just by virtue of being a proverb, it's saying, hey, you, this isn't always true. You gotta find the right decision. Now, there are some proverbs that are always true, but we don't know that because it's a proverb. We know that, for instance, you know, the proverbs that say that, you know, you shouldn't sleep with an, a, you know, a promiscuous woman uh, outside of marriage is is not like, well, let me do a mental calculation here. No, we know that because uh, of the Ten Commandments. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, that wisdom then is sort of the ability to begin to parse out, it seems, what is maybe, hey, that always is true because it's loving God and loving others. Yeah, and right. that is applying it in the right time in the right situation, which means for some of us, it may be hard, but actually the wise, loving, right thing to do sometimes might mean not doing, quote unquote, um, say, or maybe not saying the right thing because it's the wrong time, if that makes sense, that we have to yeah. oh, pick yeah. and choose those situations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to confuse a proverb with a law, say. <laughs> mm. um, um, and but they're cousins. I mean, I mean, thinking as a biblical scholar now, there's a question about how does how do proverbs relate to to law? And um, and I would say that they're both part of uh, you know the community's covenantal response uh, to God. You know mm. that. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think there's a way of, and I'm effort to have a whole chapter on this in that book, The Fear of the Lord is Wisdom, uh, talking about how wisdom fits into a covenantal framework. And I do that in part, the book, The Fear of the Lord is Wisdom, one of its purposes is to kind of push back gently against the idea that wisdom is some kind of alien presence in scripture that it really doesn't have any relationship to the prophetic or historical or covenantal tradition but that mm. it's kind of like an ecumenical secular which you know we just start with the fear of the lord as wisdom and then you realize <laughs> you can you can learn you can learn from egyptian wisdom and certainly the sages of proverbs do that and in First Kings 4, when Solomon's wisdom is being praised, it says he's even wiser than the Egyptian wise men, which means the Egyptian wise men were pretty wise. But but I think that's on that I think that's on the more practical level than the ethical or theological level. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I like that that theological connection. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote your Proverbs. I think it's from the Baker Commentary Old Testament. 
um, your book, your commentary on Proverbs. And you say at one point, you know, the bottom line is there's no wisdom apart from a relationship with Yahweh. The very concept of wisdom is a theological concept and it runs throughout the book. So of course, there's there's other wisdom books in, in scripture, you know, Job, Ecclesiastes, et cetera. Um, there's even wisdom offered within other, other books yeah. that aren't necessarily wisdom literature, but that fear of the Lord component, that connection to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is central. And obviously the statement that we've been using is the fear of the Lord. So if we're going to talk about growing in wisdom, if it begins with fear, I, I, I don't want to give it all away, right? Because I, I know some of the thoughts from you and Dan yeah. on fear, but it, it isn't so much the Halloween, someone pops out at you and you scream fear. Right, right. Can, can you take us into the nuances of what fear is then? Yeah, sure. And I'll start by saying, and as a Bible translator. I'm one of the senior translators of the New Living Translation, and I was in charge of Psalms and wisdom literature. So, mm. and I I also uh, was one of the two translators for the Common Bible for the Book of Proverbs. So I've had a lot of thinking about translation issues, and, yeah. and we're dealing with that here. And I think the thing to point out is languages. If you know two languages, you know that they don't line up perfectly with each other. Um, so, so the question is, the Hebrew word for fear is year ah, and it's in construct form with Yahweh. It's the fear of the Lord. Um, how, do, how do we translate that? And there's kind of a spectrum of English words going from horror, uh, which is obviously not applicable because one of the things about the fear of the Lord is it doesn't make you run away, you know, mm. as you're saying, it's that kind of... Uh, you know, if you're, we just went through Halloween and here in Alexandria, Virginia, where I live, everybody has these uh, elaborate uh, Halloween uh, decorations. It's like nowhere else I've, I've lived. And there's some of them are pretty horrifying. <laughs> it makes you want to run away. But, um, but on the other hand, you know, when you get to the other end of the spectrum with a word like respect, and the original, uh, the original Living Bible uh, translated it, respect of the Lord. And, and that just doesn't cut it. It's, this is, you know, Paul actually talks about the fear of the Lord in Philippians 2. And he says, um, you know, serve the Lord with fear and trembling. So, so it's, I don't tremble when I respect somebody. But, uh, so it's, it's somewhat further down. Now, a, a good alternative might be awe mm -hmm. or reverence. But to me, when I think of awe or reverence, I think of kind of contemplation, meditation, mm -hmm. sort of absorption. Fear of the Lord in the wisdom literature is always connected to obedience. You know, uh, true fear of the Lord leads to obedience. And so um, to me, fear is the best we could do, though we have to qualify it by saying it's not the kind of fear that makes you run away. It's the kind of fear that makes you perhaps stand there, tremble a little bit before this awesome God, this one who created you and motivates you to serve him and obey him. Mm. Yeah, I like that image of it. I I think, and, and I may be misquoting this, so you can correct me if that's the case, but I think one of the pictures that you and Dan painted at one point was, you know, like approaching a house and as if you're going to knock on the door and um, 
there would be a fear that says, well, like you said, oh man, those decorations are really scary. I'm not even going to approach the front door because yeah. I don't know what's in there. <laughs> then there's also just a, hey, I'm just going to walk up and throw open the door, you know, like Kramer in, in Seinfeld. I'm just going to throw the door open and, and come in. There's sort of an approaching um, you, you approach, but you approach slowly. As you said, you tremble, but you're, you're invited to come forth. I, I found that to be a very helpful sort of mental picture for it. Yeah, yeah, it, I find it that way too. I, I think that probably did come from Dan, but he sometimes has a good thought or two. No. <laughs> oh, man. Those of you who don't know, uh, Dan Allender and I have been best friends since eighth grade. So yeah. we hit around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. So, okay, so this fear of the Lord, we, we approach God, um, we're, we're invited into the presence, linked to obedience guides us sort of to understand how how we ought to live the right places in the right times but one of the amazing pictures that proverbs gives us is this lady wisdom versus lady folly and one of sort of the temptations it seems is in these passages they're painted in somewhat identical ways, but yeah. but there but there's a difference. Can you can you guide us into these? Because I think one of the temptations of the world is to make God's ways sort of look, you know, or or to make unwise, foolish death ways look like wisdom, mm. but aren't really. That seems to be the image it's giving us. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, woman wisdom appears in a number of places in Proverbs 1 through 9. Woman folly as such uh, appears only at the end of Proverbs 9, but that's where you get the similarity and contrast that you're talking about, Phil. So, you know, um, Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple, or I use the term immature, come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your immature ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And then in 13 and following, folly is an unruly wisdom, uh, woman. She's immature and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by. You go straight on the way. Let all who are immature come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that our guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So they both prepared meals, uh, or at least they both have claimed to prepare, to prepare meals. Uh, but the narrator tells us um, that, uh, that Folly's meal leads to death, whereas wisdom's meal leads to life. And, uh, and you know, in terms of who these women represent, um, I go into it, of course, in my books on the subject, but uh, because their house is on the highest point of the city, I say woman wisdom uh, represents Yahweh's wisdom and ultimately Yahweh himself. I mean, the a house on the highest point of the city would be the temple in ancient Israel. And of course, Woman Folly's house is also on the highest point of the city. So she's a false god or goddess who is trying to lure Israel through, you know, and so Baal or Asherah um, would be good examples of uh, fertility gods uh, who are offering sort of sensuous 
uh, gifts and might attract um, Israelites, but uh, it leads to their death. <laughs> right. Well, and today, I mean, we might we might look at that and say, well, I would never worship Baal or Asherah. Right, but right. I mean, I would ask, you know, what are, what are the places where we lay down our lives on altars, money, sex, oh, entertainment, whatever it might be? There, there's plenty of those gods available today oh, yeah. calling yeah. out, hey, true life is here. And it's not. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and uh, false God is anything. The thing that's most important to you is your God. It should be the triune God, uh, but if it's something else, then that's your idol. Um, Tim Keller writes well about that. So did Dan and I in the book, Breaking the Idols of Your Heart, um, how, to, how to Navigate the Temptations of Life, uh, which is based on the book of Ecclesiastes. I also want to simply say that it's interesting when we turn to the New Testament, that Jesus is not only described as sort of the epitome of God's wisdom in many places, Colossians 2, 3 being one, um, he's associated with woman wisdom, you know, and in Matthew 11, he says to uh, Jewish leaders with whom he's having a dispute, he says, but wisdom will be proved right by her actions. Or Colossians 1, 15 to 20, where Jesus is described as the firstborn of creation, is reminding us of woman wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8, or John 1, 1 and following, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and uh, and the Logos creating things is, you know, of course, referring back to Genesis 1, but also Proverbs 8. So, um, so it's interesting, as Christian readers of Proverbs, we can also think of our intimate relationship with Jesus being equivalent to dining with woman wisdom. Mm. I like all those connections. It, it, it starts to get pretty fascinating and really opens up a lot for us. You know, the question that I think people are, are maybe mulling over in their head now is, okay, we've talked a little bit about what wisdom is and this fear of the Lord type stuff, but like practically, what, what do I do if I want to be able to tell if something is the, the lady wisdom on the hill calling to me or is a lady folly only inviting me to death? Of course, the answer is, well, become wise, right? But, but I mean, that, that, is, that is wisdom. But, but yeah. what sort of steps do we take to become people of wisdom? Yeah, um, uh, there are a few things, Phil, and that's a really important question. One is not to walk through life alone. Uh, well, let me start by saying cultivating an intimate relationship with God uh, becomes the most important thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do we do that? We do that through reading scripture. We do that through prayer and, and not just reading scripture. I mean, really studying it, thinking about it, reflecting on it. Uh, we do that through prayer. We do that through other spiritual disciplines. So it starts there, but then uh, we're social creatures. Um, we don't walk through this alone. We should uh, not, you know, avoid all foolish people. I mean, part of our uh, responsibility is to be, you know, light in the world. Uh, but, but also, we should have people around us that we can talk to who can um, help us think through issues, uh, find wise mentors out there. Um, 
go to a good church where the pastor is wise. And if he's showing, he or she is so showing signs of not being wise, get out. Um, so, um, yeah, so there are all kinds of ways. And then, oh, then getting back to what I said earlier, uh, as part of spiritual discipline, be a reflective, observant person who's willing to learn from mistakes. Um, I, 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 I did this, I have to confess, better back in Santa Barbara where I had a hot tub in my backyard. And so I would, uh, <laughs> I would end uh, most days by sitting in the hot tub for a few minutes with a finger of whiskey, I'll confess, and reflect <laughs> and then do kind of a video transcript of the day and ask myself, well, I didn't interact with that person very well. That didn't that didn't help them or me, you know. And so, learning from your mistakes, being observant, reflective, honest with yourself, um, those are some things, Phil. And and maybe you have some others that have been helpful to you as well. Well, I love I love you talking about mentors. I think that that part is really important because. You know, you mentioned learning from mistakes, and we don't always have to learn by being the one to make the mistake. Yeah, right? well, absolutely, absolutely. learning from others' mistakes. It's yeah, great that yeah. you know that that was something I feel like God kept inviting Israel to was you know don't don't do what your your ancestors did. Yeah, you know, right. I already showed you that the result of that. Um, but then also that reflective piece I think is worth digging into a little more. And this is something I was really grateful at the Seattle School for was. You know, we at, at Rua Space, you know, we teach a lot of guided practices around meditation and silence and stillness, Ignatian exam, and the, the, these types of things that help us sort of go internal. And there can, of course, be the accusation of, oh, by going internal, you're navel gazing or it's, it's self-centered or whatever. But it, it seems to me that it's actually in that space where we listen to God's perspective sort of on what we've done, not to make ourselves feel guilty. Yeah. Wisdom seems to be in the, hey, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do good things. But are we going to just numb ourselves and, and just shoot past them? Or can we sort of dig deeper and, and sort of right. dig more out of that well? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And getting back to the first point you made about you don't have to make the mistakes yourself. You have this very uh, interesting picture in Proverbs 7 of the sage saying, you know, I was looking out my window and I saw this guy going to this house where this and entering into an illicit relationship with a woman. So he's learning from the mistakes of others. Um, and, and, and you're right. I mean, again, I mean, you can overdo inward practices to say the least, but I think inward practices are absolutely essential so that you can be a wise person in community as well. So it's, um, uh, it's, um, I, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. Yeah, well, and, and because it's played out practically in life, it's not just something in our heads. We sort of have to reflect on the real life stuff because yeah. it, it seems like just knowing the answer is not enough because then right. you might curse your neighbor by blessing them in the morning, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, right. you know, we, we sort of have to yeah. walk through and learn from others, learn from ourselves in order to, um, to, to gain that practical outliving. Because, I mean, our faith is all about practical outliving, right? The way yeah. that we love our yeah. neighbor. Yeah. That, that, that is how it plays out. So it has to have that component. Um, you know, one thing I, I just, 
I cannot let you go until we talk about this because as you said, you know, this is what you studied with your PhD. Another space it seems that we can learn and grow wiser is from traditions that aren't our Christian tradition, right? And 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 so I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a bunch of questions here and I'll just kind of let you go in the direction that you feel led. But we can learn from those who are not Christian, who don't hold our faith. And it seems that much of the Bible and wisdom literature is either closely related to wisdom literature from other cultures, or maybe even came from it. So can you sort of take us into that relationship? Because I know that you know a lot about this. <laughs> yeah, well, there's absolutely no question, but that uh, the Israelite sages, um, wise men and women learn from pagan wisdom. Uh, I One of the commentaries you may not have seen, Phil, is in the Zondervan Illust... I did the Proverbs commentary for the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds commentary. I've got it. <laughs> oh, there you are. You're a good person, yeah. So, uh, so there, you know, I'm, I'm spending all my time saying, you know, look, this, this proverb, we could see it in an earlier Egyptian or Aramaic. Uh, so, so, um, so the Egyptians, uh, so the Israelite sages learned from it. Now, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I think they would say that ultimately those Egyptians were foolish because they didn't believe the most fundamental thing about um, about the creation. And that is that Yahweh is the one who created everything. So so I don't but but there's a different attitude toward foreign wisdom than there is, say, toward foreign prophecy, you know, um, you have, as I said, that compliment Solomon's wisdom is greater than the wisdom of the wise men of Egypt. You'd never hear that about a prophet. Like this prophet is a better prophet than the prophet of Baal. Um, so there's this openness to learning. And I may get controversial and I may get, uh, I may get, uh, you know, uh, but what, one of my recent, right, one of my recent books is called The Bible and the Ballot, Using Scripture and Political Decisions. So, and I didn't talk about this in the chapter on race, but, um, you know, there's a lot of talk going on now about critical race theory. I'm, I'm, I live in Virginia. The new governor is a, a Republican who's made a big deal about, I'm going to stop the teaching of critical race theory in our high schools, which there's doubt that it's being taught. All this to say that, yeah, you know what? Critical race theory has a Marxist underpinning, but we can still learn from it, all right? And we can still... We can still learn, uh, and, and when we use terms like institutional, structural, or systemic racism, which are words that they use too, that doesn't mean that we're adopting a Marxist uh, philosophical analysis. We're adopting a biblical philosophical analysis. Esau Macaulay, a friend of mine who teaches New Testament, very... Uh, I uh, wrote a book called Reading While Black, um, and I'm, I'm, if you haven't read it, you should all read it. He put it this way, he goes, blacks didn't need Marx to tell them there's institutional racism. So, so mm. again, I think this is relevant to what we're talking about, Phil, yeah. even though it might be a little controversial, is if the Egyptian, if the Israelite sages can learn from 
pagan Egyptian wisdom, we need to be open to learning from while critiquing and analyzing and re-adapting it to our Yahwistic principles. Um, so, so we have to be careful, just like, you know, I think some learn from feminist uh, ideas about, you know, maybe, maybe some views that people thought were biblical were really imposed on the Bible, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think that is such a good word. And to me, you know, when I, when I started to experience that was when I was living in Israel and it was really hard because, you know, it was sort of blowing my, my presuppositions and things apart, but it, I, I think is vital to our growth, especially in our world now where everything is siloed so that the world, especially social media, you know, it's yeah. literally created to only show you what you already think. Yeah. And, and there's no, I, I mean, maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but there, there's no way to grow in wisdom if you're only learning from those who already say and think what you say and think. Absolutely. And that's true in politics and, but also in theology. Um, I think what it's really important to read the Bible in community, you know, with people who aren't like you, because if you're just reading with people who are like you uh, in your own little theological silo, as you put it, or your ethnic silo or your social economic silo, um, you'll just have confirmation bias and you won't be challenged and you won't be uh, encouraged to take another look. Am I actually interpreting this correctly? So yeah. that reminds me of the Tower of Babel when they're like, hey, we'll all be one nation and one yeah, people. Yeah, and yeah. God is like, actually, I'm going to spread you out. And we think of that as a curse, but I actually think it was a blessing. God yeah. was like, I want you to go and be be different and have different languages. And honestly, you know, as you said, wisely, you know, we need discernment. We need to sort of test the spirits as, yeah. as we're told, you know, look through the lens of scripture and God and community and wisdom. But it honestly scares me when people say, oh, no, 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 I would never read a book by that person. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just thinking, Thinking, you know, you don't have to take it all, but if, if we can't learn from other traditions or, or people say, oh, well, that that's Eastern and, and, and which makes me laugh because, you know, Israel is in Asia. So it's, it's Eastern, right? We have an Eastern religion as well, right. but you know, there, there's truths that people have discovered and it's part of our tradition to, to be able to incorporate those truths and grow yeah. from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you want to grow in wisdom, maybe go read something and, and listen to someone who you never would have before. They, exactly. they may have something to, to say to you. Yes. Yes, for sure. For so, sure. So Trevor, you know, I, I would love to talk to you for many, many hours because uh, you, you have a lot of knowledge and um, but I want to I want to honor your time. So as we come to the end here, what might you offer to people who are looking to grow in wisdom, maybe a word of challenge or encouragement? to bring our time to a close. Well, Phil, I think I would just repeat some of the things we were just saying, uh, you know, which is probably good to summarize things, yeah. which is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I personally think it starts with, um, with, um, you know, intentional uh, scripture reading, prayer and other spiritual disciplines um, it goes to finding people and it might be people in your church or it might be your pastor, but it might also be some authors that are very, uh, helpful to you, but also read 
as we were just saying in community, uh, don't be afraid to be open to learning from people who have different views, uh, not only within Christian thought, but outside of it. Uh, if you're not a reflective person, uh, if you aren't a person who learns from their mistakes, um, pray that God would open you to learning from your mistakes. Um, so, so all those things we've been talking about, Bill, I would uh, encourage us all to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a lot of good steps that uh, I do encourage you, brothers and sisters, not just to let it be now something in your mind, right? Don't let this just be knowledge, but wisdom takes that application. So take those steps, steps forward into that. Trumper, if people want to go deeper with you and find out more about your current and past work, where can we send them? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I, I, I used to have a website uh, for various reasons. I don't now, but uh, you could just go to Amazon.com <laughs> or ChristianBooks.com or wherever uh, you and then kind of scroll through um, the things that I've written over the past I guess my first book came out in 87, so. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, that's great. You know, well, I'll tag a few in the description oh, below, okay. friends, so um, it will not be an exhaustive list, but there'll be some that I that I have either read or would recommend reading or um, have been thinking about or that we spoke about here, and you can find that in the description below. So highly encourage you to go do that right after you're done listening to this, unless you're driving, of course, wait until you stop. Uh, but Tremper, thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've been wanting to have further dialogue with you for a while. I'm glad that finally uh, it worked out and we were able to have you on the podcast. Thanks for your time. Hey, thank you, Phil. It's been a pleasure. Hey friends, Phil here again. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode today. As always, I highly recommend checking out some of Tremper's books in the description below because they really have been informative for me in the way I understand Bible and life, and I think they can be for you as well. And then friends, if you enjoyed this conversation and you are looking for more ways to practically grow your life in wisdom, to become a wise person, I offer one-on-one -on -one spiritual coaching, and I in no way can claim to help make you more wise, but spiritual Spiritual direction is about walking together on this journey, looking for the ways God is speaking in your life and offering a space for some of that reflection that we were talking about in this episode, reflecting together on what God may be teaching you, on where God might be inviting you. And it can just be helpful sometimes to walk through that with somebody else. So if that's of interest to you, I also recommend check out the link in the description below. We can set up a free call to talk about if spiritual direction is right for you. And then also, friends, if you enjoyed this episode and have been blessed by the Rua Space Ministry, we'd love if you would consider supporting us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep the ministry going, as well as gain access to some really cool, exclusive content, including special series, live events, and more. So friends, thanks again for being with us today. Until next time, grace and peace be with you.